an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy Priestner and Martin Holmes. KTV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. Hello there. What are we doing today, Andy? Well, we've reached the letter E. Ah, yes, so. which means, which means, well, we were going to do something else and then we decided not to do something else and we decided to do this, which is, of course, the classic BAFTA award winning Edge of Darkness. Mm. Gosh. Woo. Big stuff, important stuff, huge. BBC drama, 1985, November, got made for BBC Two, got re-shown on BBC One about a fortnight later. They were so very it, keen on this one. That's impact. That's impact, isn't it? it I is, mean, if, if you're thinking, well, yeah. I mean, it. We couldn't not do it, really. No. Even, but then it also feels like a giant monolith before us that we have to do it justice Ooh. and we have to talk about it in worthy ways because it is so huge. I have many pages of notes, and I have uh, very little written material about it, if you see what I mean. Right. It's, it, there's, I can't find much in the way of stuff that's been written about it since. I mean, it could be that I've not looked deep enough, you know, but the, there's um, the, you know, the critical response at the time, you know. There, isn't, there mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be uh, long and prolonged articles about it that were written ten years later. So it was kind of one of those things, I mean, a bit like some Oscar winners. It was huge at the time, and then... No one remembers it ten years later, perhaps. I don't know. But I think it was remembered. I think it's, it, it, I think it's, it's more important than that in that sense. But. Totally. Um, so we should say a few um, facty things about it. Written by Troy Kennedy Martin, mm-hmm. who had created Zed Cars with John McGrath. Mm-hmm. And he'd also written Riley Ace of Spies, which I never enjoyed, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots of episodes of The Sweeney. Um yeah, him, but he had him and Ian, wasn't it? But Ian was the one that went missing, I believe. Oh right, Is that right. I don't know. Okay. But he, he he famously also wrote the Italian Job, didn't he? Ah, yes. Mm. So he hadn't done much work for the BBC. No. Um, and there was this feeling that you couldn't write anything truly political for the BBC because the BBC were not like that. Mm. So he decided he'd write something anyway. Mm. And then when he wrote this script, which was at that point called Magnox, mm. um, he was surprised when he suddenly got an opportunity for it to become a fully-fledged TV drama with the BBC. Yes. What and were you uh, thinking? <laughs> Craig, I'm going yeah. to have to do some work now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it went through various titles. And it was also called Dark Forces before mm-hmm. it was eventually called Edge of Darkness, which I think wow. is a good title. It's a good title, and otherwise we would have not been able to do Doom Watch. You know? Sorry, That's I don't. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm slow. No, it's too early. Too early. Don't worry about it. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of this. I, I wrote this down, and you'll like you'll like this, or you won't like this. I'm calling it a dark tale of drama, intrigue, surveillance, mental health, self-destructiveness, nuclear waste, business, politics, ghosts, and ratatouille. And that kind yes. of oh, now can we just talk about the ratatouille? Because I always call it ratatouille, but on this it was ratatouille, and ratatouille. I can't cope with ratatouille. I can't cope with that. It's ratatouille, please. Damn you. <laughs> we were more less sophisticated times, you know. This was vesta curries and what have you, you know. It totally was, and those um those those chow mein noodles that we used to flip up. Oh yes, my mother loved yeah. them. Yes. But- <laughs> But Never see, mind your mother, I love them. Well, precisely. <laughs> but the intro, the, 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 your mother would have cooked them for you, probably. <laughs> Maybe you were that kind of household. No, it was, it was the sort of household where my dad would come in and do the, the, the noodles as if he was suddenly some sort of magician on top ah! of mum doing all the boring stuff. That's how noodle, it worked. The noodle doodle man. <laughs> exactly. Oh, dear me. Yes, that's a tangent. Never mind. <laughs> Charmaine, you, you get it all here. Right. Um. I was, I was, I was going to, I was going to, before we sort of got deeply into this, I was going to make a point that uh, over the weekend we launched our, this podcast. Uh, so we're recording a bit in advance, but we actually, the, the episodes went out today, uh, yesterday. And the fascinating thing to me was Beiderbeck was about the same time and is quite political. Yes. And I was suddenly making all these kind of connections that Plato went off and wrote something about big business and um, <laughs> politics uh, and, and did it in that way. Yes, and then, this is a different approach. <laughs> and then Troy Kennedy Martin came along with this. And, and of course, the, uh, about the same time, you've also got Peculiar Practice, which is another take on the same kind of... Uh, uh, the 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 powers of big it was obviously a big theme in the mid 80s you know people were either this reaction against the sort of it would have been about six years of thatcherism at that point but there was a massive response amongst writers to the maybe what they felt were the injustices of businesses and the fact that things were being done in favor of business which <laughs> that's changed um you know and, yeah. and it and it was all and it was all there and yet you get someone like Troy Kennedy Martin can write a very dark and brooding piece like this. You get Plato who can get uh, can write Beiderbecke, which is much more fun and telling and, and talking about in many ways the same kind of uh, corporate uh, thinking. And and here they are both on television in more or less the same kind of era, which to me is yeah. just just a slight aside. But I, I do think no, it's, 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 it's really interesting. I'm starting to think everything's connecting. In, in what we're talking about in many ways you including, know, including, York, including Yorkshire <laughs> uh, well well, again yes Yorkshire well yeah. we, we can't uh, I, uh, again another thing that came out of uh, our Biderbeck uh, conversation was your school days and you remembering yeah. your teachers but there's a scene in episode one of Edge of Darkness where they go to a university and the real Michael Meacher <laughs> ah, right, yes. does, does a chat as himself Yes, uh, addressing uh, a room full of students, and um, basically that reminded me of my student year. I was at college during that time. I would I would have been a third year when this was on, actually, mm. and, and th- so that actually was I was sort of resonating with all those stairways and that kind of interior and, and the and the way people looked. I thought, oh, flashbacks. This is this is my life. Is Where you. am yeah. I? You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. The other interesting mm. thing about that is the fact that. Not a lot, but several real people appear in this. Mm. 
Sue Cook, Cook turns up, yeah. yeah. And and does her does her bit of uh, behind the scenes, you know, telly talking about itself, aren't we great? Uh, and Ken- Kenneth Kendall, Kenneth Kendall, Kenneth Kendall, indeed. Must well, they must have been specially filmed. I mean, there are some real world news stories that turn up on television screens, uh, sort of bumping the narrative along, which is, uh, in, I suppose, you would consider it cheeky. I mean, we we know that uh, Th- uh, Margaret Thatcher did not like the BBC or or thought it was biased or whatever. So sure. may- maybe them putting this stuff on screens in the background of stories. Yeah, might have been a bit of a cocking. Is it was cocking a snook? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, uh, and it might indeed be why you know one of the reasons why she was she was they used to rile her because of. I mean, there's still this this perception these days that, that all the all the writers were lefties, even though you mm-hmm. know when you actually watch the television, you're never quite convinced of that, that, that argument. But there's all this this theory that they're all out there being sort of left wing and and trying to bring down the government with their television dramas. Yeah, well, I, th- I think this was kind of towards the end of that being possible because, I mean, I heard a podcast with um, George Monbiot, okay. um, the activist and philosopher and environmentalist, um, with Richard Herring, actually. It was one of the more serious chats they had. Okay. And um, he was talking about how there was a point at which you could make these undercover documentaries and dramas that were more hard-hitting, but then mm. Thatcher's government literally just closed it off and just stopped the BBC being what it should be. Indeed. Um, so this was kind of probably one of the ones that would be cited by Thatcher and Co. to say, look, this isn't acceptable. Yeah. 6% of the equipment budget. Yes, 3% of the defence budget. 6% of the equipment budget. We could not possibly get such good deterrent value for that money as we get in Trident. Now, do we, should we have Trident? Yes. We must, I believe, have an independent and in this country. Room 7016. Detective Inspector Craven. Speaking. I'd like a word with you. Who are you? My name is Pendleton. Can you meet me in the car park? When? Now. Totally in the hands of a potential aggressor. Seems to me the height of absurdity and danger. There's also, uh, I mean, you know, they they might have argued it was it was it was damaging the America. British special relationship or whatever, but it's also but, the kind yeah. of mini series we don't really get anymore in the same way. Yeah, we don't get these six-part sort of you know major dramas anymore. Uh, you know, the, trying to. I mean, it was interesting that uh, when I was looking into Bob Peck, I noticed part of his career was he was in the much-forgotten um, Bird of Prey. Right. Yeah. He was in the second series of Bird of Prey briefly. I don't. You know. But. Uh, but those kinds of that was a four-parter, and then there was one that I always remember called Badger by Owl Light, which nobody seems to know what it was about. But I think it was at the time. I think it was great, and there were all these four-part, six-part dramas that were sort of just pop up, be around for a while, and then disappear. And they didn't have to lead to a series. They didn't have to lead to a spin-off. They didn't have to lead to a series two, series three, series four, where they yes. had no more story to tell. It was just that's what I want to say. Even things like uh, Potter, you know, singing detective and all that kind of thing, six parts gone. You know. Yes. And that was enough. And that's interesting because it's a different conceit as a, a writer and a, and a director and producer for uh, by, uh, as well. That you know, this is what we're saying, and we're just saying it. Well, even Beidebeck comes under that, and um, and again, in peculiarly practice, there, this 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 era when these kinds of things were not series dramas; they were they were sort of one-offs or you know, multi-part one-offs, if you see what I mean. And they're statement statement dramas. They're saying yeah. something about our world. Um, yeah. 
We should um, refer to Ronald Reagan's Star Wars speech from March 83, which is cited as the catalyst for this series okay. by, by Kennedy Martin himself, who was um, really horrified by this idea, which was put out by Reagan in the speech that, you know, space-borne defence systems were so important and this was the future. And and um, I'm minded of, um, reminded of a situation I was in recently, um, well, recently, last year, I did some work. Um, I'm a Lego serious play facilitator on the side, so I, I get paid to help. Oh, is people that what play you do? <laughs> Partly to help people play with. Um, they play with Lego and build their lives or their working lives, and then I um, help them analyse that and, oh, explore say, and help them demolish them. <laughs> no, that's not part of it. But it's only a <laughs> tiny part of what I do. Um, but that's the stuff that I do corporate, and yep. I was in a room with a group of military types and they introduced myself um, they, I was at a defense conference and I was a facilitator and this and they all came to this room in army uniforms and half of them were from the Pentagon so I was doing Lego series play with <laughs> with these guys in the Pentagon and I've never had a session where people were building yeah. um, defense systems with my Lego right and they were building things that could kill people without them seeing them and all this sort of stuff and the problems with these systems. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be facilitating discussion or exploration of helping people to kill people in more clever ways. By... So you, lo you left lots of individual bricks on the stairs for me. To <laughs> it was just Ironically, odd. the Pentagon is one of the things that's really difficult to build with Lego. <laughs> No, if you build it big enough, it's 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 fine. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. The scale has to be. <laughs> but no, they were all building these rockets, and like I'm like, mm. um, so we all go around the table, each build something that you're struggling with at the moment in your working life, yes. and they were building these rockets that could kill people. It's, like, it's not quite working. The 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 aim's not quite right yet, and I'm like, fuck me. Death I don't, machines. I, I don't think I would say yes to this again. Well, I know I wouldn't say yes to this again. I suddenly mm. had a crisis of conscience. Anyway. No, but it was exactly so these sort of things that were part of their Star Wars speech. These things indeed. were in their infancy then. Mm. But the thing <sighs> is, again, there was a lot of naivety about that. Shall we dive into episode one? Oh, gosh. We sound, you, sound, you sound very chronological suddenly. Well, uh, it's just that I, I, I can put it in some kind of structure. Can I just talk about can I just talk about the director and the producer first? Oh, indeed. It's yeah, probably so... not them. <laughs> so I'll keep <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> Neither of them. Although I, I do know one of the cast quite well, so ha. No, no, no. There has to be one. There has to be one. I perfectly, I perfectly accept it now. I say quite well. Um, um, the director was Martin Campbell, who was seen to be a very up and coming director at that time. Um, well, he even went though on he to had be a Bond director, didn't he? Well, yes, he I mean he did Casino Royale, and he did. Mm. Did you Goldeneye or one of I the? I think he Golden... did two. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. he did both of the intro ones. Yes. Yeah, but um, he was best known for being a bit of a maverick director on Shoestring. Mm -hmm. Shoestring had quite a few maverick directors that were a bit out there, and he was one of them. Mm. Um, I remember when I was going to do the DVD release of Shoestring for. Mm simply dvd media it yeah. didn't happen because there was mm. loads of rights issues or something around music, the music play probably. the music yeah, yeah it was mm -hmm. and one of my jobs was to find out whether the music was clearable and it wasn't <laughs> so it was late, later produced by someone anyway the point yeah. is martin campbell maverick director and michael waring who's yes. the producer who um i mean I, I can't remember what else he's done i think 
executive producer of Our Friends in the North, which is one of my favourite series of all time. Okay. So really properly good producer. But the interesting thing is the compromise role that Waring had between Campbell and Kennedy Martin, who did not get on. Oh, because Kennedy Martin um, wanted it more mythical and weird. And yes. We'll talk about the finale later on. We um, will. <laughs> but, but Campbell was much more action and, and this, is, this is going to make sense. And yeah, more practical, I guess, and pragmatic. Mm. So there's an interesting clash going on all the time because of these different creative forces, and I think that mm. is in itself interesting. Mm. Right, anyway, I'll shut up. Episode one, go. No, no it's just that uh, <laughs> if we dive into episode one, which I just really wanted to say, it's called Compassionate Leave, yes. which is unusual when you start watching it. You think, mm, why has he got Compassionate Leave? It's And it was first broadcast on the 4th of November, 1985, so on BBC Two. So that was really what I wanted to say, and that's fine. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah... It's an odd beast. I think the whole series, in many ways, is an odd beast. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, uh, I, I mean, now, now you sort of say that to me, you do kind of start to... It does seem to pull in different directions across yeah. its own own run. I mean, very much episodes one to four have got all the sort of uh, hallmarks of procedural, police procedural. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, you've got this... Uh, they're trying to solve the crime. And then sort of halfway through it does this i don't know it's sort of 90 degree turn and becomes a political thriller uh and then becomes whatever else it becomes you know well it becomes but, quite bond bondesque in episode five doesn't it episode five i mean i've written down that episode five is the action episode mm, mm. very much so and uh which probably probably explains that people might think that nothing much happens uh for, four, for the first four episodes of course <laughs> yeah. uh uh as an aside this was made into a movie with um, Mel Gibson later on. Yes, in uh, 2010, I think, yeah. And I'm not... I, 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 I think I've said to you, I don't actually... Ve- I don't really remember seeing it. I think I've seen it, but I don't remember it very well. But it's... Uh, you you kind of think it doesn't really play well in American society. It's not quite... It's not a very American story. And considering how the British version plays out, you can't really quite see that being a typical action hero role mm. so um I, I i mean i just thought of what thought we should mention that it exists if you yeah. if you want the highlighted version i imagine a lot of the first uh, three episodes disappear mm-hmm. in but the, that that film was critically panned we should say well even though, of, even though it so. was directed by the same director martin campbell directed it yeah well possibly i mean uh, you, you presumably the rewriting and you, you you hack away i mean the other thing about that is that You've got a, a drama there that that is kind of seen as one of the um, you know the uh, crown jewels of British drama, and this and then they make an American film of it uh, in two hours, and maybe people you know re- uh, reviewers, if you like critics, may have may have just found that a problem. Yeah. So we should just briefly say um, what happens in that first episode before we dive into it in more detail. Um, so essentially. Um, we meet him. Yeah. Oh yeah, you go for it. Go. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean it's just that I, no, it's it. It, it's a rainy night, isn't it? And 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 uh, the uh, the policeman who is a troubled man who's lost his wife picks up his daughter from a university meeting, takes her home, and she is killed. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, he starts to come to terms with that, uh, and that really is 
you know, and we also meet some other characters, but that's pretty much episode one. You know, it covers yeah. it covers the crime and the uh, the uh, not when it's not the victim, is he? Uh, the, the the father of the victim trying to come to terms with what's happening. And that's yeah. pretty much what happens in episode one. Yeah. So that that death scene is really shocking. There's a lone gunman in the in the rain, and he shoots Emma, mm. the daughter, played by Joanne Joanne Wally, who famous for Scandal and various other things, and, um, and later caught herself a Batman. Yes. Yes. And she she flies up in the air in mm. that shot. I mean, they they obviously spent time on that, mm. and uh, I saw a behind the scenes thing where she was wearing um um you know, fake blood bags around her chest so that it would all explode horribly. Mm. And There's no doubt that she's dead. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. Go get you the tomatoes. Get it over, Jean. Gremlin! You bastards! You bloody murdering bastard! It's your turn now! Ah! In many ways, episode one, the rain is a character. The, you know the rain continually falling throughout the episode, but then again, it might just hit the wires where the <laughs> no, no, it's really interesting because the rain is a deliberate character. You're dead right because yeah. they actually hired in huge water tankers to mm. be the rain to to make sure the rain happened because it was a really key part of the vision, which is mm. interesting because. Because, you know, often, you know, you watch a lot of dramas and like particularly the stuff like <laughs> a lot of the stuff we know and you think, oh, it's just like um, Doctor Who's where they had to suddenly write in freak weather conditions. And mm. it's just whatever you get in the mm. in the UK with weather. But here mm. it's very deliberate. We want this to be drenched. We want them to be so wet. And one of the actors said, I think it was John Woodfine said he's never been as wet as he was in his life filming <laughs> Edge of Darkness. But that's because they were pumping water on top of them. So... What was the rain meaning then? What was the point? Why was that? Well, I mean, I suppose the whole story in itself uh, revolves around water to a certain extent. Um, There is this whole thing about the wellspring that comes up where she fell and all that kind of thing. But also, you know, the water uh, that keeps the nuclear rods um, cool. Yeah, you know the water that is is rushed through various. This is telling you the plot. Rushed through various tunnels. Yeah, uh, but also you know drinking water, reservoirs, all this kind of thing. There, there's yeah. a lot of references to water. Interesting, and, you mentioned yeah. John Woodvine, by the way, just just as an aside, because of his New Scotland Yard role. As yeah. um, uh, you just kind of think, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, he's basically ten years after being in New Scotland Yard, he's now um, playing a detective of a similar hue, but slightly more northern. But no, uh, yeah. you kind of think, oh yeah, if you want someone to play your chief uh, chief inspector, he's your guy. Yeah, can I just quickly tell you my John Woodvine mm. story? Oh please! <laughs> no, it was just. Is he uh, there? Hello. <laughs> yeah. No, he's self-isolating at the moment. Um, no, um, basically, my wife got a phone call. Um, this quite a few years ago, and she's like, "Yeah, it's." John Woodvine on the phone for you and I'm like shit hey John Woodvine or the <laughs> yeah the John Woodvine it was because I was trying to get in touch with an actress called Lynn Farley okay. who I think is amazing and she was one of the leads in the second series of Wish Me Luck which I didn't mm. produce the DVD release for and I had no idea at that time that Lynn Farley was married to John Woodvine right. um, so when 
basically he was just ringing to say you're trying to get a hold of my wife she's she's working she's away somewhere so he's basically just ringing to tell me his wife wasn't available and i'm like but i'm talking to you john woodfine it was just really funny and a um, very distinctive voice as well and i, I didn't go fire fire <laughs> <laughs> repeated intervals i i resisted <laughs> Fire. But, oh, while you're on, could you just do me a short interview? <laughs> yeah, and say fire at intervals. <laughs> I no. want it as my ringtone. <laughs> yeah. Fire. Fire. But Lynn Farley had a habit of marrying famous people. Oh um, well. Because <laughs> first, do. I think it was her second marriage was. I think this was. I think John Woodfine was her third because her second marriage was David Yip, the Chinese detective. Fair um, enough. Well, there anyway. you go. <laughs> Sorry. Back no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> this is this is the kind of insight you don't get with other uh, with other podcasts. Insight, insight in inverted commas. Yeah, it's really <laughs> I mean, maybe we should, we should just look for your phone listener. So, anyway, yeah. Sorry, go on. we should we should talk about the iconic image in episode one. I feel felt like that was somehow later in the show. So he sits on Emma's bed. Cr- yes. With his, well, this with is a gun thing, in yeah. one hand and the teddy bear, her teddy bear in the other, and he lies yes. on her bed. Yes. And that is the Edge of Darkness image. It is. It? Yeah. Sometimes it's flipped the wrong way around, like on the DVD cover. But yes, it's... <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, BBC. Yes. But, um, but no, I mean, basically you've got this chunk of plot which takes about about first third of the episode. In which, yeah. You know, all, all this. And then it becomes this procedure. And a lot of it is is him dealing with it. And, and ultimately, you know, uh, you, <laughs> he's walking around the house trying to come to terms with this loss. You get these... Very strange flashbacks to when Joanna Wally was uh, a child. Yeah. Um, and they seem to have had a peculiar relationship. Yes, just uh, a little too close for comfort. A little bit. Uh, I mean, you know, one doesn't like to accuse from a distance, but um, it's definitely a bit more touchy-feely and a little bit more... Um, Yes, intimate than you might yeah. actually have otherwise thought would happen in a mainstream yeah. BBC <coughs> uh, drama series. Yeah, so this becomes more interesting because later Craven, um, we discover, has a very a little too close relationship with his informers when he was a uh, when he was working in Northern Ireland. Yes, um, it's, it's, it's the way he works. It's the way he gets things out of people, and yeah, sometimes so- it's 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 very. It's it's peculiar. It's surprising. He kisses the yeah. hand of one guy, and mm. and even has convinced people in the past that he's in love with them in order to get the tr- um, to get um, info out of them. Mm. And you think it's kind of has passed through into his private life, and there are just mm. a few too many scenes about them talking about sharing a bed. Now it's yes. not saying it's not saying that anything happened. But no. you feel that the closeness is just too much. And the scene which really confirms this is when he's going through Emma's stuff and he finds her vibrator in a bedroom and he tenderly kisses the vibrator, mm. which I was like, what? <laughs> yes, it's, it's I was so like, peculiar. whoa. Like what, I say, what I, I, I haven't been able to track down much uh, written material on it, but, but I do remember it being seen as cutting edge and an interesting... Uh, examination of, of of loss and things uh, at yeah. the time, which you know you can read it in many ways. You know, there's a there's a there's a slightly peculiar thing when you get the flashback where where the the, the very young girl just says sleep with me, you know, and it's yes, like, 
whoa. And again, maybe now we're even more sensitive to that kind of thing, but at the time, I'm sure even that seemed a bit out there. You know? Well, I think the BBC were quite... Um they were quite dismissive of of these overtones mm. and i think maybe they were just being a bit naive and i think those overtones were very deliberate on the part of definitely of kennedy martin i would say mm-hmm. um you can control what you say but not how it's interpreted yeah I think the, the, the interesting um impact of this was that the bradford police who bob peck worked with did some work mm. with in order to get into the into the part mm. darling mm. um they took their name off the series once they right. saw the vibrator scene right that's interesting yes okay. so yeah so it had an impact in that way mm. because they felt well we know what this means yeah. <laughs> there's no doubt yeah. i mean the uh it's also all done to a sort of lp soundtrack isn't it like he puts on an lp and, and you just get this uh song that's sort of playing in the back i mean music is kind of an important uh, part of the show of the show generally I loved her so dearly He went out of his mind And she left him for someone And she left behind So we should mention that Emma become is a regular character. You think, yes. initially, you think, well, Joanne Wally, she's not going to be in it because... No because she gets killed within the first 20 minutes yes. or 10 minutes but in fact she's been in it all the way through as effectively as a ghost who Craven interacts with yes. which gives you questions about his um, his mind Sanity. And, yes, yeah right. but I mean, he, is, he is a man who is having a breakdown and yeah. and he has visions of his daughter um, yeah. it's part memory part flashback part yeah. ghost I mean is this a ghost story is it science fiction there's a whole uh, yeah thing to sort of think about but um certainly a fantas- the fantastic scene where emma gives him washing instructions in the first episode into the washer not that the colors will run put it on cold wash i've done that brilliant but there's also this kind of thing where it's shot so it's it seems to have been shot in such a way that she walks in uh, while well, the camera's not pointing, and it's like she's been there all the time, and then they turn the camera around and she's they reverse the camera, and she's just obviously stepped behind the camera, but she's suddenly not there, you know. And that's, yeah, it's it's that's, that's very well done. That is, that's really yeah. good direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to mention about the first episode before we move on is just given Extinction Rebellion and all of that stuff, the fact that there's the speeches at the university at the start where it's the mm. whole world is falling around your ears and you don't even care and it's like and still no one cares no <laughs> it's just like the themes got- in this are, are as relevant today and mm. honestly um, I was just watching um, John my son play a video game called mm. um, Horizon and it's all about Gaia mm. <laughs> it has Gaia in it and it's like we should mention this um, the Gaia hypothesis proposed by Lovelock which is that the earth is a single organism and self-regulates and in order to protect itself and that it could mean you know even wiping man off the face of the earth in order to protect itself which at the mm. moment is quite um quite a chilling thought um yeah yes. other, other other characters we also get involved with at this stage of course are the dodgy yorkshire business businessman politician <laughs> Yes. Which is becoming a, a running theme for us here. Yeah. Who's in this case is played by Jack Watson. 
Mm. Uh, Mr. Godbolt. Now, there, there's a name to conjure with. Bolt of God, you know? Yes. That's uh, especially as uh, his role sort of changes, who seems to have been involved uh, in some kind of criminal political activity, which is being investigated by Craven before he goes to pick his daughter up. It, and and also seems to be something of a friend. And also, in the course of the programme, his role slightly shifts. You know? and it does. Of course, it's interesting. He, he goes on quite a journey, that character. He does. He changes very much. And, and again, uh, you don't trust him and then... Then he, he feels like he's really up to something, and then he becomes something else, you know. Yeah. But also the other aspect of this, which we we should touch on while we're still in episode one, is we get introduced to one half of the um, the British Secret Services. Yes. Played by Charles K, Mr. Pendleton, a mysterious mustachioed man who drives a Mercedes far too fast. Yes. Or or sometimes it's a Morris Minor estate. <laughs> But generally speaking, he turns up uh, and we know things are afoot. We're safe in here. Chop and plate, I'm told. Are you from Six? Good guess, but no. We're attached to the Prime Minister's office. Any ID? No. But you can talk to Sir Morris if you like. He heads the office. 853 Yes. Uh... There's a little bit of cloak and dagger, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. And uh, uh, Craven finds out through this that his daughter was regarded as a terrorist. Yeah. Although he should have worked yeah. that anyway, because she was. He found a, a gun <laughs> yeah. in her stuff and a yeah. radiation patch. And uh, what was the other thing he found? The Gaia folder was there. Yeah. But uh, amongst her stuff, he finds a uh, a radiation detector and a bloody great handgun, which in most people's eyes. Of course, the other thing, of course, in that episode is that he's got a fairly hefty shotgun around the house himself. You know? yeah. yeah. I often think with, uh, you know, um, 60s uh, things like the Avengers, how many businessmen seem to have a revolver in their desk drawer? He's <laughs> like, oh, everybody does it. It's like, this yeah. is this is the, the common thing. Uh, and, you think, yeah. uh, and so it still surprises me when I find people have got handguns around the house, you know? And going back to um, Charles Kay, um, he typically understated performance from him. Um, mm -hmm. You find out so much about him from very little because he is such a careful actor. He, mm. he I think he's one of the best actors we've ever had in this country, and I, I really think he should be in more. Um, so big reveal. He's the person I know, Charles Kay. He, um, I interviewed him for on camera for Fall of Eagles when I did that DVD release. Okay. And he played Tsar Nicholas II in that opposite right. Gail Honeycutt. Okay. Gail Honeycutt? Is that who I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, it Sounds is. Sounds about right. So I, I kind of had this weird day with Gail Honeycutt and um, <laughs> Charles Kay um, somewhere bizarre in London. We're at this weird studio and they were so down to earth and lovely and he particularly was. And... Um, it was interesting because he was so friendly and genial and you get that from his character here from Pendleton mm. but you also see how much I could see how much he was acting when he acts because um, mm. there's so much hidden and so mm. much is projected mm. um, so yeah I would think he's just a brilliant actor and I think Pendleton mm. is, a, is a really great creation because he doesn't have a lot but he has to communicate quite a lot with that little well, again, you you do start to think after after you get to the end of this, a, a sort of series with him and Ian McNeese would have been an interesting spin-off. But what's interesting is um, 
when I saw the behind the scenes thing and they interviewed mm-hmm. Ian McNeese and Charles Kay and they say, oh yeah, mm-hmm. there was quite a lot of humour in it. And I'm thinking, there wasn't a lot of humour in it. I think no. the humour is purely in how they operate and, yes. and, the, and the scenario rather than the dialogue. Because I don't yes. think there's much humorous dialogue in there at all. No. I, um, I, I think I said to you when I got to the end of episode two, uh, yeah. I think I found the joke. Yes, the one joke. Yes. The one joke. I can't remember what it is now, but but I thought, oh, that, that's the funny bit. And, something, and it, wasn't it about the lesbian GLC or something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. There, was, there, was, yeah. Um, there, was, there was just a moment in it that was obviously, I, th- I think it was to do with Jedburgh, but it was kind of light-hearted, and it was just, oh, right, yeah. Maybe they thought they were playing a comedy, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> can, into episode two, can I just talk about the huge... Huge bedside lamp in Craven's in Craven's <laughs> hotel room. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it was just me because my wife as well also said, "Is this is this a penile thing? Is this deliberate?" Because that uh-huh. that lamp looks like a giant penis. You'll, you'll have to post. <laughs> you'll have to post photographs when the when the article goes up. <laughs> Screen like, grabs. I, I think it would be too weird for it not to be a thing. Honestly, well, maybe maybe all hotels in the eighties. <laughs> giant penis lamps. Yeah. Maybe. You can tell the drama's really working when you're looking at the soft furnishings. I and mean, if we had episode titles for our podcasts which were um, funny rather than factual, we'd call definitely call this giant penis lamps. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the way, uh, strangely enough, the way inanimate objects do get to be characters, uh, maybe, maybe there's something in that. I mean, yeah. it was it was again. There's there's, there's an odd thing uh, where they, they try and make the the train. Ominous. Yes. Uh, which, in the, we, it, certainly yeah. at the end of the episode, certainly at the end of episode one, you get this this nuclear train passing through, well, presumably London, mm. with this bloody great sinister concrete box, which again is probably making the point that we shouldn't be shifting this stuff around in, in urban areas. Yes. Uh, uh, and it's not it's not sitting there claiming, oh look at me, I'm radioactive. But 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 the ominous music sort of basically points out that there's something. There's something wrong about moving this stuff about and yeah. uh, but that is how the episode ends it was this train which you know okay that's going to be significant later but at yeah. the moment you're thinking mm, it's a train <laughs> yeah exactly and i think if i'm if i'm honest i could easily have this cut down to four episodes and i know that oh, sounds absolutely harsh, no I, but... I have written down in my little notes is six too many so yeah you know, I think I think we could we can agree on that. Really. Yeah, there's just some things that are repeated, and also some scenes which I think don't advance not just the plot, but they don't advance our understanding necessarily. Yes. Um, one thing I also wrote down was how interesting it was to see various actors in roles that were unfamiliar or just not like what they usually do. So you uh, have Percy. <laughs> yes, you have Tim McInerney playing this the, the Terry Shields. Yes. Terrace Ter- is he or is he an activist? Something. He's, activist. Uh, he's an activist. I think he's 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 also a bit of a supergrass. He's he's kind yep. of uh, he kind of, he was being sort of selling them out to the press and all this mm-hmm. kind of thing. He's uh, he, he was using Emma, yeah, uh, you know, to get information. Your friends call you a tell, but she didn't. What did she call you? She called me, darling. Dearest, my love, tells a nickname used by old schoolmates. 
The gunman stepped out. She ran towards him. She shouted, don't. She died in my arms. Her last words were, don't tell. Look, I was at the City Institute in London. I was 200 miles away. Yes. I know. So if you come to intimidate me, you pick the wrong man. I came for a thing's tell. Yeah. And you've also got, um, what's his name? What's the actor called? Playing um, Hugh, Hugh Fraser? Playing Hugh Captain Hastings. Oh, Hugh Fra oh, yes. Captain who's usually Hastings. Captain Hastings. Captain Every Hastings, time I yes. wrote down a note, I put Hastings instead, Hastings. Of, instead of Hugh Fraser. Which is, <laughs> who is obviously a lovely person, and you're going to tell us what about the time. <laughs> so what was his character name? I can't remember. Oh, it is Bennett. He's just known as Bennett. A lot of these people only have one name. Yeah. In, in, and somehow, he's such a sinister character. And I think yeah. one of the main reasons he's such a sinister character, well, it's partly Fraser's performance, which is yes. astonishingly good. But it's yes. also because he has slightly longer hair. And it just makes yes. him look really seedy. Yes. <laughs> just... as, I, as, as, I, as I said uh, to, to uh, my better half, oh, I've been watching Edge of Darkness. It's, it's, it's got Hastings in it. And he's got, long, he's got, he's got a perm. <laughs> no, he's actually got a perm. But, but sure, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. It will ruin my my idea of Captain Hastings for yeah. so, so, yeah. so so um, luckily I watched it on my own. But, and Alan it? Cuthbertson, of course, is is another sort of one of yes. those ubiquitous actors. Yeah. Um, we need to talk about the singing now. We're in episode two. The singing which oh. takes place, which was apparently. Um, Ian Kennedy Martin's favourite part of the whole thing when they oh, when, okay. when Jedberg and. Um, Oh God, Craven first meet. Craven, they si they yes. sing to each other. Yeah, it, the, it is the, quite bizarre. The, the country and western. Yes, it is quite yeah. bizarre. And then they they have a they come full circle and sing it again later when they're yes. yeah. But what did you make of that? What was that song Willie had out about a year uh, time of the preacher? Something about the year of old one. Are you familiar with the words at all? It was the time of the preacher in the year of old one. Uh -huh. And just when you think it's all over, it has only begun. No, no, Craven. Now the lesson's all over, and the killing's begun. It comes later. All right, you remember what comes in between? Wait, wait, wait. Here it goes. Uh, but he cannot forgive her, who he tried and he tried. And he tried. And he tried and tried. In the halls of his memory, yeah. still echo her eyes. Yeah. And he cried like a baby. And he screamed like a panther in the middle of the night. And he saddled his pony. And he went for a ride. It was the time of the preacher in the year of 01. Now the lesson is over and the killing's begun. You know what the term preacher signifies, don't you, Craven? Gun. And a gun. Time of the preacher is the time of the gun. In the year of 01. And just when you think it's all over, it has only begun. Well, I mean, if I, I'm probably sat there horrifyingly listening to the lyrics and trying, oh, this is probably deep and meaningful. And <laughs> it prob it, the, 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 the lyric's been chosen for some really important reason. Uh, and probably it's just it's just for them to bond, isn't it? But you know, it 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 takes again. There are moments when the whole thing goes slightly surreal. Yes, 
uh, which again I'm, I'm never I'm never you know I'm never bothered by things going slightly surreal you know because this is the episode you also get the actual Sue Cook doing the behind the scenes thing mm. and then you get uh, instead of watching the program you get uh, Bob Peck watching the program on TV screens in a window a shop window you know so um, it, it it does and of course this is also the one where you've got the sleepy drunken American other soldiers. Hmm. in the restaurant then they and they end up carrying them over their shoulders back to the hotel and putting them in bed together and all this kind of thing and it's just um the whole sequence is just i understand it's about male bonding but it's also batshit weird you know <laughs> yes it is a bit but it's deliberately weird isn't it oh and god think, yeah, yeah i mean you know. yeah it's 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 interesting <laughs> yeah I, I immediately took against Jedberg, not just because he was so outrageously, horrifically American. Um, yes. I'm not anti-American. Texan. But um, <laughs> it's the fact that um, he's so into golf and anything, anyone who's into golf is <laughs> an immediate no. Sorry. And is that maybe a good walk spoiled? Yes, but maybe it's only, it's only because they want to then foreshadow him playing golf later on in yes, Scotland at St Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. So that was why they had to put that in. It just doesn't fit for me that he's a golfer at all. I can imagine him shooting things for a hobby. I can imagine him hunting yeah. game and stuff, but I can't imagine him golf. I'm sorry. I didn't it buy prob- that. It probably just justifies having that, that gun in the golf bag. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it gives him a bit of character. If he was, if he was a tenniser, it might not have, he might not have been able to hide his weapons as well. But uh, I mean, we we must never forget how much um, devious, uh, horrifying business is done on golf courses, and how many decisions are made about the rest of us in these places by people who, you know, sinisterly want to hang around in the middle of nowhere, hitting balls into little holes. You know. <laughs> Indeed, bit of so, politics. Um, yeah, gosh. So, um, anything else you want to say about about episode two? Uh, episode two doesn't. There's there's some interesting uh, Emma scenes. There's there's a, there's a scene which I can't decide. It, it's I can't decide whether it's in a lab or in in their kitchen, and I can't decide whether it's a flashback. Um, where where when he finds when they talk about all the other people who are in the raiding party being dead. Yeah. I I wondered whether that was a flashback to a thing that didn't happen. If you see what I mean. Mm. Whether he never had that conversation with her, whether it was a wishful thinking conversation with her, or whether he wished it, or whether it was what you know what he was. I couldn't quite work out where that was in the timeline, or if it was real, if it was made up, if it was imagined. Um, so I, I had a bit of a problem with that specific um, scene, if you like. You know? Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, there's also the developing thing that maybe she wasn't a terrorist. Maybe she was actually being sent in by HMG. You know. The analysis suggests the source has to be a reprocessing plant. Double I have denied they've got anything like that down there. Spent fuel rods have been known to leak. No, Dad. It was done by some sort of laser operation, which they also deny. The only way to find out is to go down there. Northmore is a nuclear waste plant. Anyone who breaks in there would be met with ultimate force. It's the most dangerous business in Britain. Don't even think of it. There's some very, very obvious direction in episode three. I've written down obvious direction. Right. Which is when he's in the park 
and the the camera's obviously on a dolly and it goes right back up and mm. I was reminded of um, Carolyn Seymour as Abby in Survivors when the camera comes yes. back up and she says am I the only one and you've got mm. Bob Peck there standing in a park with a strewn empty deck chairs mm. and he's the only one there and although I did, I did, I did quite like that. I quite liked that. it, but it felt yeah. too Forced. deliberate to yeah. me. But yeah. that's just because I'm, I'm being too critical. I think. Well, it's it's all it's all the uh, fallen deck chairs, isn't it? You know, it's um, you know, I mean, there's also something interesting about about that is that Jed Berg's now driving around in a massive white Rolls Royce, um, mm. which is which which is very inconspicuous for a, for a, a super secret. <laughs> Yeah. Super secret agent, isn't it? But uh, yes, but yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a very visual moment. It is, and I, and obviously the deck chairs. I mean, it reflects his his state of mind, and yeah. uh, there's nothing nothing is upright. Everything is sort of like mm. he's losing all sense of reality. Oh well, God, well. yeah. I mean, this is it. I mean, I, I, he's definitely uh, cracking up. There's also, uh, I think it's, this this might be the earliest reference, but they start seeding in this idea of like a tree, be like a tree, be. You know, yes. so you can cut. You can kind of think, oh, that that's that's where they're going with this. You've got to be strong like a tree, and you know, yes. so that that sort of sneaks in 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 episode three. Come on, Daddy, get up. This is no time to break down. You've got to be strong like a tree. Don't break. <laughs> The other interesting thing about, uh, for me anyway, in, in in episode three is you have the funeral. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can't decide which funeral you're at. I know that's kind of, um, I mean, it's, yeah. whether whether it's his wife's funeral from years ago, or mm-hmm. and there's there's a kind of cross uh, pollination of that, mm. as it were. But then, of course, this becomes this whole procedural about. The police are still looking for this guy called McCroon, mm. who they basically they know he was the shooter, yeah, and they want to tempt him back to the house, you know, and 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 of course that episode ends with this whole weird thing with the petrol mower, which is okay, whatever, <laughs> but the house is being watched from you know, there's, a, there's a, basically this is petrol mower porn at one point. They really really love that, that petrol <laughs> but but. Uh, but then the house is being watched by this mysterious figure in the yeah. in the in the trees. Yeah. Mm. And I think the most um, in the best part of episode three for me was this discovery of Craven's soft approach to to his informers and how Indeed. he calls it a soft approach mm. and how he kisses that kisses that man's hand. I mean, so I thought that was mm. really powerful and really interesting, but also mm. really challenging at the same time because it's real manipulation and mm. it's quite dark. But also you feel like he's so into it that his tenderness is real and that he is making connections with these people and he, he is really showing them care and they really feel it. So that's a really interesting. I, I was thinking, wow, that's a technique. Yes. But it also speaks of a man who is ultra sensitive and mm. also therefore perhaps more in danger of of being damaged. Uh, mm. mentally because of his emotional disposition if that makes sense hello this is mr craven remember ronnie craven 
I'm here to help you. I developed a soft approach in interrogation, which with certain prisoners meant spending long periods of time alone with them. It would involve holding hands and being physically close. Sometimes I even kissed Lo. Lo, can you hear me? And it worked. This is Ronnie Craven. When you find out in later years you know, how many um, interviews were suspect and how many um, confessions were suspect, you know, you yeah. kind of start to think, oh, that's, that's an interesting take on it, you know. The other thing, uh, of course, uh, episode three introduces is Zoe Wanamaker, which... Uh, oh, it's Clemmy, work. yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's Clemmy, which, which is... Uh, and we find out that the CIA-backed Gaia Mm-hmm. Uh, because of their their, their plot things, um, like I say, things. there's also well, well, they were they were trying to undermine uh, you know uh, various things. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, you do actually start to get a bit mixed up in the middle of all this about what what. what? Oh, uh, totally. I imagine if you if you I mean I watched these back to back more or less, and I'm yeah. kind of I kind of lost certain uh, threads. So I imagine if you were watching it, we maybe 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 televiewers were just cleverer back then. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I felt like I needed a whiteboard and some post-it. <laughs> I, I really did. Well, I was struggling. I'm, with... I'm even trying to make sense of my notes now. And looking at it, anyway. <laughs> I, I've got a note here. It just says, Jedberg meets ministry men. Funny, like yes, yes minister. <laughs> Great. So well that was obviously something that struck me at the time. Anyway, let's move on, because that was episode three, Burden of Proof. Let's move on to Breakthrough, episode four, second disc. Gosh. I think all. I struggled with this episode more than anything else, because I felt like I was kind of like, is this ever going to go anywhere? And that's yeah. really terrible when you think this is one of the most classic dramas of all time. I can't believe well, you're saying this, but I did there's feel... There's something I wrote down and I and I said, it, it struck me. Uh, remember we were talking about Doomwatch? Yes. And we said there was a big long meeting and lots of people talking. Yes. It almost felt like this is the same structure. Yeah, it's you basically. I think there are two strands going on. There's a great big meeting going on, and there's other stuff going on, and they keep cutting between the two, yes. and nothing is actually happening. You find you find out. Okay, you find out a lot about radiation. You, there's a body found, and then the body's taken to the inquiry, and and um, you know, and Jedberg comes back into play, and you know, but oh god. <laughs> I'd, I'd I find out more about radiation in this than I really ever needed to. You know? Okay. So, I just got the sense that you were meant to think things were important and go, oh, but I didn't enough. And I felt like I'm obviously not concentrating enough because I'm missing well, the meaning. See, I think writers often think that everything they're writing is important. And sometimes if they're important enough, writers, other people don't tell them you can lose that. Yes. Um, yes. However, you know, I mean, that may be just me not. Uh, misunderstanding it. Oh, sorry, me, me, me misunderstanding uh, what was trying to be said. But, but there's you. I think you certainly find out a hell of a lot more about how radiation works yes. in episode four, or or what it's, or or the politics behind why uh, uh, people are trying to process plutonium and all that kind of thing hmm. in in this than you ever really need to. I mean, there's all this stuff about finding a route into Northmore, and, and of course, this is the point at which you discover that Godbolt isn't quite such a bad guy. Indeed. But, I mean, I, um, I think the scene of the episode for me is, is right at the start, when he has the confrontation with McCroon. Um, well, yes, because that's that's basically finishes off the initial plot, you know, the, yeah. the, the uh, crime plot. 
there and, and then, some, doesn't it? some really striking direction when he has blood all over him when McCroon gets killed basically spoiler spoiler yeah. spoiler alert um, yeah. and he has blood all over him which and Bob and Peck is screaming no, no, no. screaming yeah. because yeah. he's desperate to know what happened he, he, mm. if he goes to his grave not knowing what happened to Emma he mm. that will just would be the end Break for him. him yeah yeah again which yeah. which emphasizes mm. just that bond with Emma that mm. very all, all too close bond with Emma Ask her, Craven. Next time you meet her. Please. I want to know. No! 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 And then this is the point also you find that the water spring has sprung up outside his house. Now, isn't that fascinating? I think that's really interesting. So a new water spring has come up outside of his house and Jed Berg later on asks him, is that, is that new? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not normal. <clears throat> and this is where where Troy Kennedy Martin has suddenly got more more control. And I think you feel it shifts mm-hmm. between different people, between Martin mm-hmm. Campbell and Troy Kennedy Martin as to who's in control. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, you think, right, at that script conference... Kennedy Martin got his way. He got yeah. his spring, yeah. um, and his, and and more time seems to have passed as well. That's the other thing. The, the, yeah. <clears throat> when when uh, when Bob when uh, Craven goes home, yeah, it, it feels like time has passed. I'm not entirely sure whether you're supposed to, but this is where the ratatouille. <laughs> oh God, ratatouille. It's not called Ratatouille. Can we just please all agree it's not called Ratatouille? Let's do a poll on on, on Twitter, actually. Because let's really take this down to a a really shit level of inanity. (laughs) And we'll find out. In the in because in the middle of this episode you then get this whole thing about them all watching come dancing. I wrote that down. Jed Berg enjoying come dancing. And I thought yeah, you you have no idea about. He, I feel sad that Darius Jedberg never gets to see Strictly come dancing. He doesn't Absolutely. get. To, you know, he loves come dancing. He he would. I don't know what he'd do with Strictly come dancing. Yeah. Get a little too excited, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And I, I can't remember. Was this was it this week or, or last week? Where um, I think it was actually last week. Where um, where uh, oh, what's his name? McInerney. Tim McInerney. Yeah. McInerney. Sorry. Yes. Gets, yes. Um, Gets gets uh, suddenly uh, drowned in, oh, sorry, electrocuted in the bath. You know, yes. Everybody who, who seems to have anything to do with this seems to end up dead. Basically, yeah, you don't have anything yeah. to do with this, really. You don't have anything to do with this. It's dangerous. Yes, yeah, basically. Don't we haven't touch talked him. about Grogan yet. The ah, Jerry, yes, Jerry Grogan, who's the head of this nuclear company, who's a terrifi- terrifyingly bland businessman terrifyingly bland terrifyingly believable and yes he's the person that all our our people are courting to get their american money yeah. um uh, because what we want is them to to allow us to process this <coughs> plutonium yes, um, cough. <laughs> that we're not that we're not processing at all no 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 it's not happening no in uh, near near reservoirs or anything like that no, it's and, all fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's Nothing right, to fine. see here. Because they, they want their plutonium for their Star Wars. And, um, yes. 
and we've got to, we we're, we're offering to make it for them because we're the British and we just do anything for a buck. <laughs> yes, because we're whores, and <laughs> hence we have the sinister um, the sinister Bennett who and yes who who seems to be the one giving all the orders. Um, yeah, it it's hard to tell on that one. I know he's doing it because he's motivated by keeping everything quiet. Because if there's an inquiry, they won't be allowed to. Uh, sell plutonium so he won't make his millions and, mm. and all this kind of thing there's a, but there's a lot of intrigue going on and this, this sinister little American man with shiny glasses just sort of keeps turning up and going have I got my, my plutonium yet basically I had a call from Washington a few moments ago somebody's about to break into your plant Darius Jedberg no less on instructions from the CIA his guide is an employee of yours James Godbolt and they're accompanied by Detective Inspector Ronald Craven. What are the chances of them getting into the plant? Well, they may get in. They'll never get out. Into episode five. So episode five is the big action episode, as we've already said, which is called... Northmore! Northmore! Which yeah. it does prove he's a, why he's a Bond director in waiting, really. Because yes, this is Jed Berg and Craven going into the mine yes. and discovering the hot cell. Yes. And... Yeah, and it's interesting because there's a very deliberate contrast of action between the exploration of the mine yes. and the inquiry into whether this plutonium thing is okay. Um, yes. which is, and it's very civil service and it's very dull and dry and you've got that mm. contrasted with the action very deliberately. Um, yes. Did you feel um, that worked? I did think that the climbing went on forever <laughs> yeah. but then again if you've got to fill 50 minutes you know? yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean I, I understand that you've got to say oh it's not easy you can't just walk in there you know? <laughs> yes. but you know, you know you, John, John Steed would have just gone through the door and go we're here you know? but, uh, yes. but um, and that has its own it had to look difficult. and of course God, Goldbolt helps them in you've got the lovely Mr Brian Croucher <laughs> yeah. uh, waiting with his, his team of um, uh, thugs to stop them, basically. The word, the word, the word. Sorry, Blake Seven reference. Okay. <laughs> Some people will have got that. <laughs> now, for the last time, tell us the word, the word, the word. Switch the bracelet on. The word, the word, the word. Teleport! I told you, teleport! You didn't. Anyway. No, it's a while since I've seen... Series 2 is the one I always miss, really. I mean, I've watched... Yeah, it's, yeah obviously, it's Series 2. He's shouting at Villa, and basically he makes Villa say the password, oh! and he just ends up saying, the word, the word, the word. <laughs> word anyway, I can't think of Brian Croucher without thinking of that, ever. <laughs> well, no, again, funnily enough, because uh, we, cause we talked about uh, XYY Man, he turns up in that as well. He's, 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 he's in everything. He's, 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 he, is, he is ubiquitous, you know, and, yeah. and I don't know. Is he lovely? I don't know. I think the weirdest thing I ever saw him turn up in was um, in the last days of Pompeii, and okay. stripped to the waist alongside Stephen Grief, the first Travis, and they were stood mm. together, stripped to the waist. And I'm like, God, if you were a Travis fan, this would be your dream. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. Well, we ne- we never did the two Travises. No, exactly. Well, they do it in the last days of Pompeii. So oh, if you're into your Travis, there's a recommendation. <laughs> um, they're, 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 if nothing else, you get out of today's episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know where to go for your Travis porn, but it's not porn. It really isn't. But... If they, do they touch each other? Does the world implode? <laughs> no. I don't think there's any inappropriate touching. 
Oh, okay. I just thought if they if their fingers came together, they they, they would short out the time differential. Oh, or I see. You see. Yeah, you see. Gosh, good work. I, I, I can do it too, you know. Yeah, you can. <laughs> and you hesitated. You yeah. hesitated, Travis. Anyway. Just channeling my inner Jackie Pierce then. Right. Well, we, may have to, we may have to do an alphabetic flashback. <laughs> we should get back to episode five, I feel. So, oh, um, well, I forgot, I forgot all about this. I know, exactly. So I, I did like the, the scene in the nuclear bunker, the place they found where they had this sort of um, little dinner party with each other. Oh, uh, yeah. That was enjoyable. It's, again, it's kind of... Um, it, I, it, I I think you you got oh, you've got all this I was going to say metaphorical for you know the post nuclear world or something there was some there was something deep being said there you know I think what was <laughs> said was this is where they all would be if nuclear yes. the nuclear people got their way this is what well they didn't be. seem to know it was there or... <laughs> no it was a bit odd but I think it's just again it's deliberately absurd it's like saying we know mm. this is odd we're putting mm. it in deliberately because it's odd because we do not want you to feel. Mm. Um, that this is predictable. You know what's the most interesting thing about this place? No locks. No clocks. Time stands still. Real freaky feeling, huh? And there's a plaque on the wall that says it was built by a condominium in 1962. Whoever that may be. The year of the Cuban Missile Crisis. A lot of people got shit scared that year. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they end up eating, was it, uh, out of, you know, uh, eating a meal anyway, that they've managed to knock together out of the tins yeah. uh, by, by candlelight, hmm. you know, uh, and the, there's no clocks. The, the no, no clock speech is quite nice. I do, I do quite like yes. that. But it's, but it's, uh, it's a very, it's a very thing about about. They called it a doomsday Harrods or something. Now Harrods, I mean. This is something. Can we talk about the Harrods bag? Oh, we can. So we've already said about how this, like, Bidebeck was small and this is big. But there are moments in Edge of Darkness where small everyday elements are suddenly seen as really big. Um, mm. a Ratatouille is another example in a recipe mm. book. And and also the Harrods bag in which Jedberg puts the plutonium, which yes. is the least likely receptacle for plutonium, I think is the point. <laughs> Um, or the most <laughs> oh, oh gosh wow <laughs> no I know what you mean yes and I just think well we just buy ours from Harrods <laughs> well our plutonium yes pop down to the shop yes we don't we don't make it ourselves we order it from Harrods <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> or maybe it's deeper than we thought there we go. Oh. anyway but, go um, yeah it's just no it's just the contrast of the small and the big which is deliberate and I like I thought that's that's good I like and it's one of those slightly bizarre scenes that uh, they, a lot of this uh, is essentially, you know, a nuclear thriller throws up these kind of bizarre uh, images. You know, again, the, the, it back to episode one and, and the the vibrator, but 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 this this scene in this room and and lot and, and the come dancing and the and the singing. You know, yeah. they, they are they are sort of there, it's, and I don't necessarily think the absurdity escaped the writer you know it, and and i don't think they escaped the, the team making it but it's it's uh yeah sometimes you're thinking what it's deliberate juxtaposition yeah you're right but it's just sometimes you think well what's the point and i think i worried sometimes that intellectually i was missing the point yes and i imagine if you if any of us actually well 
if we analysed it in more detail in order to write about it, I think you would pull out more of the text. And I think if I approached it like more in a more forensic detail, like I've done for some mm-hmm. other series, I think I would find a lot more in it than I found in just watching it. I would have to well, write. Yes. I would have to write I... down dialogue, work out what what words were being used, what themes yeah. were coming through, and I just feel like. I just was felt like I was grasping at air a bit, a bit of the time, and I felt, oh, this is too cursory a, a mm. an exploration. Just watching it well, the, one, the once. Yeah, I, I do feel it needs actually an, another watch, and then we'll probably change our minds about everything when we hear about what we actually said about it. You know, exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I've suddenly realised we forgot the whole sequence where they're trying to get into the computer. Um, Oh, yes. Which was the previous action sequence and all yeah. the running that they have to do, uh, and yeah. it's uh, all, it's all under is it the Barbican or the yeah, which th- one of the theatres in London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, but but that whole sequence of them all running in various directions and they've got time. It's is again, it's very much the action movie uh, cliche, and he stays yeah. longer. You know, and yeah, then you're waiting for trope, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Dot matrix printer to print yes. bloody maps. <laughs> I know. You kind of think nowadays you just download it to your phone and off you go, you know. Exactly. uh, Or just take a photo of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is it. It it is. It is. It is kind of. Kind of. There are these moments of of great sort of um, action amidst Mm. lots of standing around in rooms telling you what about the nuclear industry and how bad standing around in rooms. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, are we going to go into episode six? Well, there. I mean, towards the end, uh, obviously, we we get the. It's quite beautiful, actually. The uh, the hot cell. The when they get into the cave where yep. this accident has happened, and there yep. are lots of dead bodies, and there's obviously been much more a much more huge incident has occurred that everyone's trying to hush up, and yep. and the Geiger counters are buzzing away like nobody's business and everyone's pretending this didn't happen and mm. there's been a lot of corporate fudging and uh and you and you get this bit where they break in to the where the plutonium is stored yeah and you know and they've got uh i can't remember the 20 minutes and they're dead is it or something mm. uh yes, so right. our character our characters now are basically hopelessly irradiated from this point yeah, on they are the walking dead from this point and that is yeah, quite and... that is quite staggering and wonderful Yes, it's very because rare. everything that happens after they escape from the plant, which they do escape in this incredible shootout. I mean, when you yeah. think, uh, sorry, these are just security blokes from the plant. You know, suddenly they're armed and, and they're in their nuclear suits and everything, and they're machine gunning people left, right, and centre. There's something very wrong in uh, Northmore, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> But it also does this um, thing that's become much more of a, a, a narrative uh, trope, if you like, in recent years. Can I say trope? You can. Um, which is where you have this whole sequence and, and uh, uh, Ronald Craven runs away, locks himself back in that bunker, finds a telephone, 
Yes. Turns out the telephone's ringing in the basement of Downing Street. Yes. <laughs> in some forgotten dusty room that nobody knows about and has been ignored presumably since the dark days of the Cold War. But still 60s. connected. But still connected. But it's still connected because this is the, the phone line to the bunker. Yeah. And he just screams, "Get me Pendleton!" Yes, I really don't. Get me Pendleton, which is. And you cut to the next episode, and it's later. It's yeah. all been sorted, yeah. which is which is a, a very uh, sort of thing that Stephen Moffat was doing now in more yes. recent years. But, Deliberate but jump. this is yeah. the, the massive narrative jump between episodes. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't get any of the how did they get Pen- Pendleton to get him out? How was he rescued with all these people with these machine guns? Or they, none yeah. of that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Don't get me no. wrong. But it's a fascinating end of episode, start of episode jump. But it is a it is a narrative device, isn't it? And that's oh, very much. That's interesting that that um, that was decided. That was the choice. Yeah. Yes. Um, I also wrote down my early notes for episode six. Gan exclamation mark. Oh, Gan! Yes, of course, with a mustache. Gantash. David Jackson doing David. a very nice performance. Actually, I thought he, he was very he good in this. It makes you realise what he gets, what he can do when he's got material. I thought. Indeed. Well, you find that with. Uh, I mean, you do find that with a lot of actors who, who surprise you. I mean, you also get. Is, is this the one where you get Jeremy Child, or is he in? in yes, he is. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, yes, Jeremy yes. Child. Yeah. Yeah. So you know all the, all these strange and peculiar, familiar faces who 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 you forget all about sometimes. But then, but yes, uh, David Jackson is is incredibly good in this. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second NATO conference on directed energy weapons. The question is, how high is high? With the latest Star Wars technology, are we on the edge of a new space race? And what does that presage for the future of that other race? The human race. What is the final episode title? It's... um... Fusion. Fusion. This basically involves... Uh, the conference that's been going on you know, to, to say how great nuclear power is, yeah. and 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 they kind of get hoist by their own pet toad, as it were. <laughs> yes, they um they, they um and and whilst you whilst this is going on, Jedberg is basically dying. Yes, vis- visibly dying with some nasty sores. Yeah, he turns up at um at the uh, conference with some raw plutonium in a bag <laughs> yes just in a bag and <clears throat> and 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 these suddenly calm constantly applauding people i know they're ridiculous everything is completely applauded isn't it because they know it's going to make them money suddenly um suddenly they suddenly see oh god that's real plutonium run away run away run away <laughs> yes and the and room is cleared jedberg has that brilliant line which I wish it was just it had been elevated on the soundtrack, so it was just a bit louder. Which is "Get it while it's hot." Get it while it's hot. Yeah. I just wish uh, that had been shouted so yeah. loud. I just felt, oh, yeah. that's a shame because it was yeah. it was almost lost in the melee a bit. Yeah. yeah. Two bars of weapons-grade plutonium. I stole this stuff on orders, straight out of Jerry's latest acquisition. Twenty-four people have died for this stuff, including me. And all I have to do is bring these bars together. We'll have a criticality. Four hundred rags, ladies and gentlemen. A lethal dose to anyone within a radius of ten yards. Get it while it's hot. You you end up with Grogan 
doing his speech and they're all you know and then then Jedburg gets up to give his speech and it's again the speech is wonderful but bloody hell you know yeah i mean yeah they go on a long time they, they don't think they'll be for yeah. today's audience but i'm fascinated yeah. by grogan's speech and Jedburg's yeah. denouncement of it because mm. it's basically saying about this new jerusalem in the milky way this idea that we will it doesn't matter if we destroy this planet because we can go out into the mm. stars and live and we can do mm. all these destructive things but that's fine because we've mm. got nuclear power and it's great and yeah. it just highlights how horrendous Reagan's Star Wars speech was and how terrifying yeah. it was in terms yeah. of its recklessness. Yeah, fuck the planet, let's go somewhere else. Yes. Kind of thing. And yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing to think that that was, that was the American political reality at the time yeah. and therefore by relation the UK political re- reality. And it's just... The, 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 it's, it's not just the fear of the fact that all these people are cheering and clapping for it. It's the fact that everything is still totally driven by advancement for the sake of advancement and technology mm. for the sake of technology and of mm. course economy i mean in these coronavirus times the um the economy coming first regardless yes. of how many people die and yes, absolutely. and it's such a so, short-term view it's same just, old same old ah oh, it's just oh, I, mean, I was reading some guy this this morning yeah. uh, going going on about oh we need to open all the pubs again this is ruining the economy and you think oh let's not go there <laughs> no let's not <laughs> But are people so thick? And well, are they yeah. so so short term? And the answer is yes. They are. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, hey, let's party like it's nineteen ninety nine. You know, it's, yeah. um, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. Which okay, but that's all gonna have to be cut because it's be so out of date. But no, I know. But it's a useful artifact in its time, though. This podcast in yes. itself. But it's terrifying to think what will actually be going on by the time this goes out, if it goes out. Yeah. Well. Yes. <laughs> If the internet's still a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My God. We're hoping. Yeah. Yes. Uh, an A to Z that stopped at B. No. Maybe, we, <laughs> maybe we should go weekly, honestly. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you, you may think this is over-reading it, hmm. um, but I think that the fact that uh, uh, Ronald... Ronald Craven... Sounds a bit like Ronald Reagan. I've just realised that. I hadn't thought that before. Uh, but Ronald Craven is is... Not Reagan. It's coming to the rescue in a white Porsche, which to me is the symbol of eighties uh, Britain in many ways. You know, the, the symbol the, of eighties success, the uppies, isn't it? Yes. The yes. yes. And I thought. I thought this was kind of just an interesting aside, but it's kind of like if you could have picked anything for his white charger to be. Oh, of course, <laughs> it yes, probably had to be. It had to yeah. be that that, that to. kind of eighties Porsche. You know? Yeah, I get. I get these moments sometimes. <laughs> I think this is where we get we get first introduced to the idea of the black flowers as well, don't we? Yes, the black flowers that are the planet protecting itself, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. The, well, the idea is that they'll they'll bloom everywhere and the planet will absorb heat. Yeah. Uh, now, you see, I always uh, I, I've kind of misunderstood the references to black flowers before. I always thought they were actually just talking to mushroom clouds. You know, the, the, about mushroom clouds. I'd, I'd sort of uh, had that in my head before I watched it. So mm. I'd kind of forgotten they were literal uh yes. black flowers. Totally. Yeah. Um that were that were being referred to, you know. Um and this whole thing about uh you know, was it was it the the planet don't worry about mankind, the pl- the planet will do it for us or something or or, or yes. get rid of us and the planet will save itself kind yes, of thing. Exactly. Yeah, which is this guy hypothesis that it's it can, mm. it's a living single organism and it can sort itself out yeah 
And he also makes a reference to five hundred million, five hundred thousand million dollars or something. That's yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, oh. oh. <laughs> anyway, I know. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I know. I know. It's just, but that is the reality, isn't it, of humankind, and that's terrifying. It doesn't make you feel good about man or woman. This episode, it, this this drama. By this stage, in many ways, I mean, despite the fact he's he's visibly dying mm. throughout the episode, and. Uh, it's actually it. It's sort of not become uh, Bob Peck series anymore. I feel. I feel that uh, he's he's kind of there, but he's there as a witness. Yeah. He's because uh, most of the the action. I mean, the the villain, uh, Grogan, mm. is is killed by Jedburg bringing the two pieces of plutonium together. Now I remembered that just wiping out the room. But of yes, course that's it right. Fade, it fades to white, but then. You know, but but oh, Grogan's still alive at the end of the episode. You only hear yeah. that he's going to die because he's that exposed to it. But yes, Grogan doesn't. He, even... he looks unwell. Yes, but yes, but he doesn't even move away when Jed Berg does it, which I think is interesting. No. Yeah. But now I felt like he went into a room and there was a massive explosion. That's how I remembered it as well, and that yeah. everyone at the conference died. So isn't that interesting? How our minds did that. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe that is you know because that's the clip they play. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> maybe in clip shows, but, but it. Yeah. But that was I. I was kind of I was genuinely of the opinion that that was actually pretty much it, you know. Mm. So when you get the whole, uh, they're on the run. Uh, uh, Bob Peck tracks down Joe Don Baker, and there's this shootout, and he's just sitting there while everybody around, you know. And then it becomes him telling them where the plutonium is, so that actually the status quo ends up being maintained. And it's all been for nothing in many ways. Yeah, or well, do you, I read that wrong? No, I think you're right. And I think earlier in the episode, you really get that feeling that this is all hopeless and... Futility. Really, yes, the futility of it. Definitely, that's yeah. the main theme of episode six because mm. you discover quite early on that the investigation that Harcourt's been been tasked with is all part yes. of the, the deception. It's not real. Mm. And mm. that all the behind-the-scenes shenanigans and all of the collaborations and allies and mm. different sides working against each other yeah. you discover that people you have that scene where everyone is all in the same room having a dinner mm. together and you're like mm. oh my god this mm. is terrifying but this is the reality mm. of the people who are in yeah. power yeah and this is why we we can never win because oh, the people yeah. who have power and the people who have money and we being a regular yeah. ordinary ordinary yeah. person you know <laughs> Not, because, not you and me. No, no, of, of. <laughs> we, we I, I personally, I think I'd be rubbish at running the planet. Myself. Yes. Well, that's because you wouldn't be an evil bastard. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we'd be shit well, at it. Not. Because we have integrity. Because we have integrity, and we care about other human beings. But they are not requirements of power, yeah. sadly. And then people say, "Well, how will you pay for it?" And you go, oh, <laughs> oh God, exactly. <laughs> right. What did you say about Northmore? Not much. The whole hall was in such a state of pandemonium, I doubt if anyone noticed. The man is quite insane. He completely misread Jerry's argument. Did he? I thought he put his finger right on it. Either we stay or we go. Go where? Um, I did like the contrast um, in approach towards the end there, where, you know, Darius and Ronald, as I'm calling them by their first names, I know them very well. <laughs> Darius and Ronald. Yes. <laughs> or actually, Dar and Ron. Darren Ron, yeah. when, who never got the spin-off they deserved. No, I know. <laughs> or Rondar. That might be yeah. Let's let's sit in our lead-lined coffins and, and talk about the future. <laughs> no, they um, 
there are different approaches to being captured was was mm. was was a great yes. way of ending it. The fact that oh, yeah. Jedburg was always going to go down fighting, and yes. Craven was like, "No, I'm just sat here. Just take me. I, mm. My life is over anyway." Yes. I, I think arguably his life is over as soon as Emma dies. Yes, absolutely. I think he's already decided mm-hmm. this is it. Yes, and and obviously Jedburg is always going to you know I mean the way he's so flippant about his friend being killed. Yeah. Uh, he, he he always basically he was the soldier he was always going to be a soldier and he wanted to die a soldier's death that yeah. was that was it I mean the fact that he actually changed sides in you know in terms of his own justification mm. is actually quite interesting you know yeah if there is a battle between the planet and mankind the planet will win or is they going to leave you. On the side of the planet. You want to wait for him inside? Or you want to go outside and meet him head on? I don't see the point of moving from this spot. Oh, and he has Craven to take us me and the bastards with us as we can. Why? Because they're going to have our eyes. So you've got this big contrast in the end between you've got the nuclear train of thought. Yes, and then you've got the nature and man, and and it's it's as to which one wins. And mm. <clears throat> where do you think? What do you think the drama was saying? What do you think the message was about what was well, going to happen? I think ultimately, if you uh, watch the end mm. of the the um, the program, uh, the titles, yeah, and you and you get the black flowers growing, yeah. I think basically the message there is that yep, nature's doing it. We're all doomed. The black yes. flowers are growing. Yeah, uh, it already knows that we're messing it up, and it's going to get rid of us. Yeah. Um, the um, and yet from 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 a dramatic point of view, it's basically saying government always wins. They yeah. always get their own way. These these the men in power will always find a way to look after their own interests, their own yeah. needs, their own financial wealth, personal wealth. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, for one thing, um, Bennett survives. Yeah. I mean, we don't know how many people in Glen Eagles at that time, you know, will have long-term health effects. <laughs> yes, exactly. But but uh, pretty much everybody in that room full of horrible people is, is still standing, and our heroes aren't, yeah. you know. And uh, Bob, in many ways, has lost. Type Bob, uh, Ronald Craven has <laughs> lost everything. Yeah, you know, and he's no not no longer even alive at the end of it. Yeah, or is he? And there we go. That's yeah, where the so enigmatic, this... peculiar possibilities of endings come into play. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this. So Troy Kennedy Martin envisaged Ronald Craven's character as a green man. So he was the idea that he was kind of going to be the saviour of the planet in this instance in terms of environmentalist way. Have you, have you read the Wikipedia entry which basically says, I'm writing this story about a detective who turns into a tree was what right. writer Troy Kennedy Martin told his okay. colleagues. Right, no, I haven't. I'm, I'm yeah. writing a story about a man who turns into a tree. Yes. <laughs> and the original idea was that he would turn into a tree at the end. Yes. And the cast basically said, we're not doing that. Presumably over years, though. Not immediately, instantly. Not like a Luke Ward in Mark of the Rani turning into a tree, I hope. 
<laughs> which is always what comes into my head. I know, I'm and me. Because we remember him with his with his wonky rubber arm and, and I know, so and also, clasping and Perry's I also, bosom. I also get a slight image of Lance Corporal Jones in that Dad's Army episode. Yes. <laughs> I mean, um, so you know, I, mean, um, yeah. I think you could possibly say that the way it's shot with him, he, he screams at the sky, and then they cut away, and you cut back, and he's not there. You don't see him. Now they could have planted a tree there and had it silhouetted against the sky, and maybe that's the way they would have done it had they been they'd chosen yeah. to do it. No, it's just if you read any of the things, it's like everybody's turning into trees by the end of it. It's it's it's, it's not subtle. It's it's not metaphorical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it obviously is metaphorical, but but yeah, if we'd seen it on screen, a lot of people would have gone, "What the actual?" Yeah, you know, which may have uh, detracted from the the whole drama. And also maybe. Maybe people had seen Mark of the Rani, which was on just earlier that year. <laughs> well, yeah. Or maybe, maybe just it, John Nathan Turner going, hold on, they're making one with a tree. We can do that. <laughs> no, no, it already happened. It already no, happened. Right. So that was, it was February 85, Mark of the Rani went no, out. Okay. So, so Martin Campbell yeah. maybe thought, oh, it's, it's dicey. I don't think they pulled it off in Doctor Who. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like the idea of Martin Campbell sitting at home watching Doctor Who. Watching a Pip and Jane Baker classic. <laughs> What's on tonight, dear? Yeah, I want to get some hints. Yes, I'm, I'm about to direct a big nuclear thriller. Mark of the Rani, that'll do. Yeah, well, I watched I watched Peter Moffat's last week, and oh dear me. <laughs> oh bless. Although the idea of Martin Campbell doing a Doctor Who is actually quite fascinating. I know. I think he'd be the closest yeah. to Graham Harper we have. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. um. I just wanted to mention that what? Gosh, what was no, that noise? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just idly glancing at the cast list here, and I'm realising that that bloke in the boat was Matt Irvine. Oh, okay, yes. I, I thought, oh, he looks like Matt Irvine. That's yeah. because he is. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say about um, Chernobyl was the following year, the Chernobyl act, ah, the disaster okay. of April. I wasn't sure how it pitched. Yeah. Yes, April '86. So, so literally, mm. literally, just about three months, three or four months later. Mm. And which was everything that needed to happen to or in order to halt the nuclear age, really. I mean, it didn't. Well, these dramatists, but... they give us clues, but sometimes the actual reality happens a lot quicker than we expect. Exactly, you know? exactly. And I think it would be wrong to talk about Edge of Darkness without mentioning that and recognising yeah. the, the context being so bang on the money for the times. We were very, I think in the 80s, I mean, I, I, mean, I like to say I was a student back then, there was a lot of uh, CN and D activism and, you know, you know, Ban the bomb and all that kind of thing. Yeah, but but people were being very blasé about nuclear power back then. Mm. They were being very they they you know the people the powers that be generally thought that you know, this was the future because it was cheap and they could make money out of it. Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't. I mean, not cheap as such, but it was cheap to produce. Yeah. They said. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, building these bloody great power stations costs money and everything like that. And the fact that we, you know, as as a nation, we're not supposed to be worried about them transporting this stuff around and. You know, um, having it in our backyards, and and I mean, I this is the first place I've lived that didn't have a railway track at the end of the garden, you know, mm. or with it within you know a couple of hundred yards, and and you kind of think this you're messing around, just chugging this stuff around the country. It it you can't you can't see why why they didn't realise it was a bad idea, mm. and it actually took something like Chernobyl because Chernobyl could have happened anywhere. Yeah. I mean, okay, you could argue that you know maybe different safety procedures would have, you know, made it not happen anywhere else. But I mean, there's a lot of reference to this not being Sellafield. Have you noticed throughout yes. the um, yeah, throughout the, the dialogue? Yeah. 
There's the oh, it's not Sellafield. No, no, it's not. Sellafield. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the only one anyone ever knew the name of. Yeah. Um, uh, in Britain, you know, and they had to make sure that that Sellafield weren't going to complain and everything like that. Although they probably did anyway, to be honest. Clammy. Within hours of Jedburgh's death and in conditions of great secrecy, the plutonium was recovered from Loch Lednock. It was an IIF show. No one else would take responsibility for the stuff. Certainly not Her Majesty's government. Myself and Pendleton turned up just to show the flag and to remind Grogan that this was only the first round. What's the hitch? Ah, oh, yes. Grogan was there, watching the proceedings like some 20th century vampire. Although after his exposure to Jedburgh's plutonium at the conference, I don't hold her much for his chances. In 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 many ways, uh, you know, the the key points stick in your brain, stick yeah. in your mind. But actually, it's one of those things where there's so much that actually a lot of it. If you ever had that thing where you watch a film, yeah, that you know you've seen, and you're and the first twenty minutes you're going, I don't remember any that. of this. Yes, exactly. Don't well, that was my experience of of Edge of Darkness because I yes. know I saw it at the time. And I know, and I didn't really understand it because I was too young, but mm. I, I know I watched it um, probably when I've got the DVD about 10 years ago or around yes. that. But I didn't really remember very much of it at all. I was shocked. Well, it's one of those dramas, I think, that you might have sat down in front of one because you thought, this is important. I mean, I was a telly fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of late teens, you know, whatever, mid-teens. So I would sit down thinking, oh, this is going to be a big event, television, and I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And... And and sometimes, you know, you know, after the fact, you're going, you know, t- 10, 15 years later, you think, I do remember I saw that. I have no clue what happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. Indeed. I mean, the, the again, because uh, I mean, tele, tele fans like ourselves can sometimes watch a lot of television and sometimes it becomes it, it can kind of start to merge after a while or just become you completely forget it and that's not to say that edge of darkness is bad i mean oh, it no. won it won six baftas yeah you know, best drama best BAFTAs. actor yeah whether or not um you believe you know it actually deserves to have won you know or whether whether you know after the fact it feels i mean what was it best, yeah, best actor best drama series and then Best music, music and, yeah. and some technical ones yeah Lots not of to nominations. dismiss the technical ones no what, yeah 11 nominations yeah, yeah. So, um, but actually, sometimes, you know, that doesn't mean, I mean, like I say, people remember, oh, it's the one where he brings the two bricks together. Yes. Plutonium. Yeah. And and possibly that's, in real terms, that might be the only genuine, memorable image that sticks with people. I mean, that again, I don't, I don't like to dismiss it like that, but I just think that 35 years later... Hmm. What do people remember about it apart from oh it was good it won lots of awards and there was that scene in it where yeah um, and I don't really think I uh, you know in this in a different way when you watch something like I Claudius where there's so much of it that sticks oh totally I mean I I I remember virtually every scene of that it's it's so amazing and it's it yes you're right somehow you the set pieces remain with with Edge of Darkness but not the detail and that's an interesting thing that happens there isn't it I mean I, I, I can vividly I mean you know the, the 
absolutely recalled sort of 90% of uh, The Singing Detective. I think it's a masterpiece. Mm. I love it. You know, some people hate it, but, you know, but there are things in that that I'll still quote. I can remember lines from. Yeah. Edge of Darkness sort of washes over you. Now, maybe it's that's the point. It's an experience and it's supposed to make you feel troubled. Yes. But I don't think it necessarily... I don't think it's helped that, that Bob um, Peck I don't think his character is particularly likable. Well, he's a he's a prob to use the cu- current parlance. He's problematic. Problematic, yeah. But he also he doesn't really say much that that you know he's not quotable if you like. No, he's not, and it's not a quotable series. It's deliberately no. not. No, um, he's, he's, I mean, and again, you don't. I mean, ultimately, um, with the best will in the world, one of those words I said. You know, these are self-destructive men destroying themselves. Yeah, and that in the course of the 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 actual story doesn't make them very endearing to the viewer and this is an issue i often have when i watch any tv program whatever it is however mm. good or arty it is is if mm. you don't have a hero if you don't mm. have someone who you're rooting for then mm. it always becomes a more difficult watch for me and you feel sorry for uh, Bob Peck's character. You do, and you, you for a large chunk of it, and you can't yeah. help liking aspects of his character. But he's very much an mm. anti-hero, and no. partly because he's shady, and because you you really are a bit uncomfortable about aspects of his character. Mm. So, and Jedberg again, he's he's difficult. He's obviously killed yes. so many people, and yes. and therefore it's not meant to be an easy watch. And, yeah. and of course, so and the, and the only sort of likable touchstone character is is shot in the first ten minutes of episode one. But even then, up, she's she's, she's not the most likable people. No, because she's idealistically dangerous. I think. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, in the sense that she's described as a terrorist, uh, and then our heroes become effectively terrorists. Yes. But um, then there's a the question know, so, of what is the current question is what is a terrorist, you know? It, well, that's it, always a question. Yes, how it? do you yeah. want to, if you're using the word terrorist, why are you using that word? And that's always an interesting one. It's a point of view, and certainly in in, in terms of this context, it, it it's to do with not really liking capitalism. Yeah, because for, some people for, would yeah. describe Greta Thunberg as a, as a, as a terrorist. Indeed. In, or some people do, yes. yeah. And, um, yeah, and it's uh, and it's you know it, this is also I think uh, and again which which touches on when we went back to the the movie earlier. This is a very un-American story. Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't play. It's it's almost anti, well, not anti-American, but anti the American idea. Oh, it, um, it totally is. It's anti. You know, the which is why you know, yeah. uh, you know, this whole thing about making money and 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 and. And sort of becoming top nation, and this is how we get our stuff, and all this kind of thing. Yeah. It 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 doesn't sit well in in drama that you're trying to sell to America. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Although it's, they loved it. Yes, know. I know. It's it's yeah. odd, isn't it? It's a bit like wow. Okay, that's that's. The I don't. I don't. I mean that. I mean that's one of its pluses, isn't it? It's 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 a British series that couldn't. I don't think have been made in American television. Yeah. At all, I mean, I know. I mean, ultimately, the networks and all this kind of thing. But people, uh, you know, they don't. If you're making a series in America, you have a set of characters that you're likable or or cover whatever um, demographics you're trying to greet. But the actual fundamental thing is you're still pro the American way of life. Yeah. And I genuinely feel that that you couldn't have made Edge of Darkness in American television. Certainly not in the eighties. You know, it might get made on HBO now. Yes. You know, 
but whether whether or not it would be enjoyed on HBO now, I mean, it would it would have to be played up that this is you know the all these revelations would be played with a big chord to so this is a revelation for the end of episode. You know, and it would it would, it would also be, a, be more quotable. There would be there would be rewritten yes. so that there were lines you'd remember. Absolutely, and and Jed Burr will be taking off his mirrored sunglasses all the time. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's very unfair. But, no, but it's um, true. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've we've explored it, in perhaps perhaps in as much detail as we can on one viewing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I honestly don't know what uh, you know. It, it's it's odd. I I because I've got all these notes that basically say lots of things that I thought were going to be really. And actually, you're just talking about it. You actually think you know what. <laughs> You know, I feel maybe we've not done it justice. Maybe, but but that worries. You know, that, that, I think I think you've got to be honest about about your reaction to these things. Yeah, and we've said what and, we've enjoyed about it. We've the scenes yeah. we liked, the character elements, some of the direction was fantastic. But it's it's coming back to what I said originally. Like I came to it like it was a monolith that I had to mm. bow bow towards. Yes. You know, and and now I'm. You just can't thinking, not do Edge of Darkness. Yes, yes, and I'm coming away from it feeling a bit. Obviously, it's it's stunningly good in parts, but mm. it's it's what you said about what you actually take away from it. I mean, the messages, yeah. yes, are fundamentally relevant and right for mm. for for whenever, and it's mm. still startlingly prescient. But mm. but uh, was that it? <laughs> yes, there's an element yeah. whereby you think you kind of want mm. more to happen or to take something more away. But then yeah. I also feel that's deliberate because it's deliberately mm. not wanting to be popular, populist and mainstream yes, and, and easy. Very much, yes. It's yes. very much we want it to be challenging and for you to not understand all of it, and that's okay. Yeah. And for also for it to be okay that it feels slightly incomplete. Hmm. I mean, you could argue. I mean, you know, this this is the kind of thing the BBC should be making. But uh, and whether uh, and and as as a significant eighties drama, it's a significant eighties drama that you should see. Well, I fundamentally but in the don't end, think they would be prevented from making it now. I absolutely do. I think they would well, not be allowed to make it now because the government have put their tendrils into the BBC too much. Yeah, it would certainly get messed with. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. but um, you know, so as as an example of what was being done at the time, and and to be fair, as an example of the subversive writers that we have proven ourselves to quite enjoy their work yes yeah. <laughs> it's it's there as 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 this this mid-80s monument to the folly of of nuclear power and yeah. and you know it, it has strength it's it's a strong six episodes but on the whole it's also just strangely forgettable i know i know i very rarely thought i've you know during it very rarely remembered any particular scene Mm. And that is staggering, isn't it? Absolutely. We'll have to do it sober next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, on that note. Yeah, on that, on that note, yeah. So um next time we are going back to Plato, we are we are going to do Fortunes of War. Oh. Yeah. If I can find a spare fortnight, yes. <laughs> it's only seven or eight episodes. Oh is it? I thought there was, was more. No, no, no. You'll be fine. We have been watching 
Edge of Darkness from the BBC from 1985. We hope you've enjoyed listening and uh, we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, thank you. Bye. of UK TV drama with Andy Priestner and Martin Holmes. Next time, Fortunes of War. This is Andy here, just to say... Martin and I would be really grateful if you could write us a review on iTunes because it helps people to find the show on there and also it'll make us feel warm inside. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter and you can do that at TV Drama Pod. Thank you.